1: Welcome back to the Book Riot podcast as we news and talk show about what's new cool and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. Today is January 6, 2022. Rebecca Shinsky we're back.
0: We are. We're actually talking about what's new cool and worth talking about in the world it's of books. It's been and
1: a reading. long. It's been a long. Time. It's been a long. It feels like it's been a long time. We've got some other stuff that's happened, you know. We we've, we've thrown some content out, you know, chum in the content water. Um over the last couple of weeks, which we'll talk about in a minute, but we're back with a regular episode here and we're going to be back on our regular cadence talking weekly for a while. We don't, we don't have a special episode planned until I guess the moms, dads and grads really um, for yeah. right now that we might throw some other things in there. Um, if you missed us or you didn't hear, or you've been procrastinating or maybe don't care, which fine, that's okay. I, I do want you to go check out adaptation nation. If you don't care about me and Rebecca talking about English Patient, that's fine. I think you're wrong. Um, (laughs) You should care. You'll be delighted. But we're over there. Um, We also have done episodes on Dune, Wheel of Time, uh, Casino Royale, Pelican Brief. The next one coming out is another new release. I'm not going to say what, but we're going to record that one in a couple of weeks. Um, and we've had a really good time and I really like it. So go check that out. adaptation nation, wherever you get your podcasts, go find it. But the most recent one is Rebecca and I talking about the great English patient movie directed by Anthony Minghella with a screenplay by Anthony Minghella directed by um, kind of his, his apotheosis mm-hmm. as a director, but then also on the the really wonderful novel by uh, Michael and Dodge.
0: Yes. Check that out. It's a fun show. And you and Amanda and I, have a really fun one in february for we do i guess we won't spoil it yet but check out i Adaptation think part of the
1: version. fun is if you subscribe you are so sub- you open up the podcast yeah. player and it's like
0: oh it's that it's oh it's that. that's right right yeah go ahead subscribe you know you only mm-hmm. have to listen to the ones that that you're interested that's right. in but i have realized right. from listening to a lot of movie and tv podcasts over the last couple years that i think i started by just listening to episodes that were about things i knew i was interested Mm -hmm. in or things i knew i liked but it has led to let me listen to this anyway and it more often than not results in going then to watch the thing um or or having a clear sense of why i'm not watching the thing but I feel like my horizons have expanded in terms of visual media because of that um, so. I think
1: so too I, I like hearing about why other people like things yes. even if I don't like them
0: Yes, and and sometimes hearing about why other people like a thing that I like, but for a completely different reason, or for <laughs> a reason that never occurred to me, but now it opens up some new dimension of it. Like we get that in books all the time, um, and I think book folks who listen to shows like this get that. But getting it for something that I'm not already an expert in, but just kind of a passionate interested consumer of like TV, um, has been really interesting and satisfying. So I hope folks will get that experience from Adaptation Nation.
1: Yeah, all right. We'll do a quick break and come back and talk about some other stuff. Speaking of non-standard book Riot podcast content, the next version of our bonus episode, um, the 2022 winter draft, much like we did in the fall, this also will be hosted on Gumroad. The wrinkle here is that we've added an option where you can get an RSS link so that you can. Put the episode into your podcast player of choice with a couple of provisos. So you can do it like we did last time. where you can download the MP3 or stream it within Gumroad. But also there'll be a link to the RSS feed. For those of you who don't know, most podcasts you know are based on RSS feeds, which basically go find the file, upload it, and your podcatcher goes, finds the file, and does it all behind the scenes for you. It is the backbone of the podcast industry as we know it. So we're making it available there. There's one episode sitting in an RSS seed for you. Go to bookrat.com slash winterdraft. The other change here is you do have to pay a minimum of three bucks. You can still pay what you want, but there is no free version this time. We're gonna see how it goes. You also get to so you get to hear our twenty twenty two winter picks, which is January through April. Though Rebecca, I'm sorry to say one of your picks. Turned out to be a May 3rd release. I don't oh, know if no. you knew this. Which one? In the middle of the episode, I'd recuse one of my picks. I let it stand. I almost thought about taking a victory by default, <laughs> but what's the fun of that? It would besmirch my, my, oh. my legitimate content victory to come <laughs> what's, to do what's it that What's the way? fun
0: in quietly doing that when you could point it out here for all of our listeners? Why not... <laughs>
1: Get the smarmy credit for it right
0: here. <laughs> smarmy credit is a good show title. Uh, uh, which title? And you which, can hear
1: the results of our fall draft. Which one was our it? Our fall draft.
0: We'll give the folks uh, one sneaky
1: peek. It's, I, um sorry, the, is it called Trailed? Trailed? Is that the name of it? The book about the Shenandoah mystery?
0: Oh, I don't remember. I don't think it's called On trail. the Trail. On the trail, something, something like that. I don't have
1: it in front of me. <laughs> we spoiled one of your picks. Whoops. One of your disqualifications. I was
0: going to ask you, I had a lot of fun recording that episode and I think a thing for us to tell folks about it is this felt different to me than some of our other drafts. There are no big books um, for like January or February that we were fighting with each other to get. There are a bunch of books that like might be something or they might be nothing so we had some like <laughs> high risk high reward yes. idiosyncratic yes. choices um you had some things i hadn't heard of i had some things you hadn't heard of we each had some stuff that was like oh i thought about that but i didn't put it on my list and here's why um it was a really fun conversation and i left it with the intention to read a bunch of those books over my holiday break and then all i did was read books that come out after these books
1: yeah <laughs> Well, the early January is a little light. We can talk about this in a minute. Bookriot.com slash winter draft It's going to be a bit. Did we say how long we're going to keep it through January at least? Yes, I, we'll I keep it up for
0: probably going. the month of January, maybe a little yeah. bit longer. Um, but we did hear y'all who downloaded it um, the first one in the fall and used Gumroad. We heard the feedback that you were missing some of your favorite features from being able to listen to things in your podcatcher of choice. We wanted to make this as easy to access as possible. So you do get the choice, as Jeff was saying, between the old MP3 version or put it into your RSS player um, there are instructions on the Gumroad page that you can access about how to do that. So click that link. Um, and we are excited to keep you know conducting some experiments around what bonus mm-hmm. content looks like. Of course, you can always email us at podcast at bookriot.com with thoughts and questions yeah. afterwards.
1: The other couple of wrinkles related to feedback is in the show notes for the episode, um, which you can find in your podcatcher, you'll see... Our complete lists with links, so you can go check it out and remember what the books are and then go add them to whatever list you want to add of your own. And then rather than emailing me with a vote, there's a Google form with a link to vote. So that's a little bit simpler as well. But we would still love all the other kinds of feedback um, as well. You can also hear the results of the fall draft and who won that one and our little diagnosis of why. Speaking of, one thing I I think I talked about on that episode, I don't remember now, Rebecca, to be honest, is my... Quizzical, maybe I'll only read front list this year. I think oh, I'm doing it. Yeah. I'm only reading front okay. list this year. But a couple of provisions that I'd like to run by you mm-hmm. uh, with this. Can I, I'd like to answer, I'd like to tell you a couple of things about my project because I thought maybe I'd report on it here. From I time would love to time that. Just to see how we're doing. One is, In order to read, I want to read a bunch of front lists. I kind of want to be, I'm not going to do this every year, but be a part of the best book of the year, what's hot conversation Mm -hmm. in a way that I kind of, I'm on the sideline. Well, you know how we are. We will follow it and we'll, some of the big ones, but um, I don't always catch all the books people are talking about. I'd like to catch more of those, but with this proviso, I'm not going to finish all the books and I'm saying this to myself because I need to be able to pick up stuff and then abandon it if I don't like
0: it. Yes, I think that's just Which is essential. not in my DNA. It's
1: not in my DNA.
0: Oh, I'm not sure that I knew that. Are you a... Like, you didn't know that? You're not a DTF'er, er no, DTF I, is er that's a Jersey Shore acronym. DNF yeah, is what we're I, talking about.
1: I'm going to plead the fifth on whether or not I'm that <laughs> acronym. I think anyone who's listened to the show could probably guess. You don't need a Google poll to guess on that um, one to vote on it's that gonna, one.
0: You're going to impact your smarmy credit score there, my friend. Yeah, it is
1: really. Yeah, it's going to take a, a hit or a raise. I don't really know which way the smarm <laughs> flows uh, necessarily. But I, I do tend to finish the books, not out of like a moral sense or anything, but kind of, I just, if I started, I kind of um, right? yeah. want to know how it is, right? I kind of want to know how it is. But I need to... I need to be able to let go yes. if I want to experience more when it
0: comes that to That is, yes. Y- your one wild and precious reading life is short and limited, as we know, from 4,000 weeks. And so just for maximizing the value of your reading life, I think you need permission yeah. to DNF. But also, if a thing isn't good in the first 50 or 100 pages to grab you, that's really useful data for the conversation about best books of the year.
1: I was trying to think about that. It's probably something we talked about on an old podcast or an old post on the site. Like, what percentage of books that you're meh about fifty pages in really rally <laughs> in the last three fifty? To be yeah, it's, it's rarely. It feels rare it, to me, but I don't know. I
0: think it's rare. I think it's much rarer in books than it is in something like TV. Like, it's not uncommon mm. to talk about TV and be like, you know, the first season is rough or the first four episodes are rough, but then it gets better. Um, but TV shows tend to have much longer runs, and if it was, you know, the first four episodes out of like a, I don't know, six year run, it's like okay, fine, you lost four hours, but you got what fifty six good hours, right. maybe. Um, in a book, if it's the first fifty or one hundred pages are rough, I mean, I DNF with reckless abandon, um, but if you're reading a hundred pages of something and then you're just like hoping that the next two thirds of it are going to be better. That That's just, mm-hmm. I mean, what paddle your own canoe, but I, that's not how I want to devote my reading time.
1: Well, and I also need to get more on the galley train because mm-hmm. in order to mm-hmm. DNF, I can't spend $30 on a hardcover at Powell's and then be like, yeah, 50 pages. <laughs> like I do all right for myself, I would say. And like, I, but I, I can't do 300 novels like yep. that because that's kind of what I'm looking at I'm like I'm going to try reading 200 or so, or maybe 300, but actually finish 125 probably is kind of the, the. So I have to get on my galley game, my audiobook situation. I need to figure out. I'm doing. I'm going to do fiction in text and nonfiction in ears. That's mm. my other plan to do it that way. Um, I've I've tried five book five 2022 new releases already. Would you like to hear the I results would. of my reading yes, so far? Please. Um, I have dnf two.
0: Okay.
1: Uh I DNF'd Beautiful Little Fools by Gillian Cantor, okay. which I talked about mm-hmm. before, which is a retelling of Great Gatsby from Daisy's point of view. I've complicated feelings about my DNFing it and my own sense of the retellings of stories like this. I realize I'm not I I might be at cross purposes about my interest in the idea of these and the actual experience of them, oh,
0: and I'll tell you more. Oh yes. Okay.
1: What do I, why do I want to retelling Rebecca?
0: I don't know why. You I don't know. Personal, I can't answer that like,
1: question. I don't. Why, why do people like this now? If it's really different, I guess you're using it as like, it's almost becomes like a trope, right? Yes. Like maybe that's the Madeline Miller vibe. It's like, well, let's tell the story of Circe from the pig's point of view. Or I mean, the I don't, you know.
0: Lady Sherlock, that sort of twist. Yeah. yeah.
1: Right. But you need to like it. I think the key thing is you need to like it on its own merits. I don't think that it's just a retelling yes. is enough to get you through the day. And so I did 50 pages of this. It was, seemed pretty interesting. And the other the other difference is, when does a retelling make a big enough change that it's sort of not a retelling? So in this one, Daisy pulls the trigger. Oh. And it starts at the beginning. So it's not oh, a spoiler because okay. it's in the first 50 pages. I, I kind of think of things that happen at the beginning is not really a I spoiler, agree. I should say. And I was like, well, that's, that's like a really different story. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. So I was like, I, I didn't. And, and then the writing itself was good and it was fine. But I realized I got to let go of fine. Mm-hmm. I have to let go of fine yes. if I'm going to do something. Life else.
0: is too short for fine. Yes. Life is too short I, for there's fine. There's too many mediocre books. Like, not mediocre, but
1: like, here's the other thing. The average book that comes across my desk is even, as, to even try, they're pretty good.
0: That's the other thing.
1: Lots of books are pretty good. Yes,
0: this is like that scene in the recent episode of Ted Lasso where Roy Kent tells Rebecca, Yes,
1: why would you settle for fine? Why
0: would you settle for fine? Stop dating these men. Stop reading these books that are just fine. There are so many great books out there. Okay, so you DNF'd that one.
1: Yeah. I also... I'm sorry. I'm I'm now blanking on the name. It's one of those things I... I, There's no way I'm going to forget this. The School for... What? The School for Good Mothers by Jessamyn Chan, which is... Uh, I would say, I'm not sure it's in the handmaid's tale genre, but not quite that much, Mm. like a near future proto dystopia. And what happens here again, this is all in the first 50 pages because if I wouldn't, I wouldn't know it because I stopped it is basically the protagonist gets involved with social services and has her daughter taken away. Mm. Right. But not only is her daughter taken away, but then she gets sent to like this school for good mothers in the title which is like a rehabilitation, almost like internment
0: camp. This sounds horrifying.
1: Yes. And then the other thing that happens is the way to be rehabilitated is you get like a robot daughter to practice on. What? And I see a lot of good reviews for it. It's an interesting idea. I realized for me it was, it fell into the uncanny valley of possibility Ah. where it didn't seem so plausible that I was like, oh my God. And it wasn't like Handmaid's Tale where it sort of leaped it sort of made the logical leap of plausibility. Like, cause it's, it's supposed to, it's sort of set up like it could happen today. Mm. Right? Like this could, if, if you just went wrong and ran uh, a foul of the social service of bureaucracy, you could do this tomorrow, but it didn't feel within the realm of like, it, I just didn't believe it. I guess okay. like it felt like too many big questions. Interesting idea. Some people really like it. Um, it has a lot to say about, you know, the state and motherhood and expectations, but I kind of got it. I feel like, I mean, I don't know what's going to play out, but it's kind of a thought experiment. I'd, so there you go. Okay. School for Good Mothers. My favorite one so far, and page-turnering counts. I don't know what to tell people. The Maid by Nina Proud. Ne- Rita Proud? I'm sorry. Now I'm breaking on her name. Mm, Jeffrey Skipper O'Neill. not doing this right.
0: <laughs> Nina Prose. Please leave that part in.
1: <laughs> yeah. Nina Nita Prose. Uh, I can't believe your name is Prose. If you're a novelist, I- I'll believe you. It's a thriller. The main character is a maid at a fancy hotel, who I think we're supposed to understand – I'm pretty sure we're supposed to understand is on the spectrum, mm. right, in some way. And she gets involved in something that happens at the hotel. And you see this world unveiled, unveiled, unraveling, revealed, transpiring through her particular worldview. I thought the voice was cool. Perspective was cool. I guess I was maybe ready to start the year with a mystery, what's going to happen kind of it's a situation, but vibe. an interesting voice. It's a good vibe It's a, really
0: good, a January yeah. – moment.
1: Yeah. Not very long. It was a Good Morning America pick, too. So I think they're going for some other kinds of things. But I was I was really I was really into that one. And then I'm in the middle of it. I'm going to finish Olga Dies Dreaming by Zochil Gonzalez, which I'm really into. I think I talked about before. Mm-hmm. Um, set in the upper crust of Manhattan social life, um, but from the point of view of some um, La- Latino Latina characters, which is something I haven't nice. seen before. I'm only about 100 well, pages into that, but enjoying it so far. I think, so that's my report.
0: I think I'm just going to Kool-Aid man myself into your front list corner when you do these Let's reports because I read a lot of front lists too. So, why not? This is about what's new in the world of books and reading. Yeah. Um, so, I read This Time Tomorrow by Emma Straub, which comes out in May. Uh, so, see,
1: that's a thing you're doing. You're going ahead. I don't which like, I need to figure no, this out. I wasn't
0: intentionally. It's just that I follow her on social. I saw that the book was c- like coming out soon and I happened to check Edelweiss and the galley was available. And there you go. There yeah. is nobody better for travel reading than Emma Straub. Like, I was telling a friend, I save galleys of her books to read when I'm going to be on planes because I know they're going to be good. Like I'm going to be pulled in immediately. It will be entertaining. There's substance to keep me going, but like not so it's not so thinky that you can't focus on it when there's like overhead announcements from the pilot or whatever. Um, And this is about a woman who is turning 40. She goes to bed on her 40th birthday and a time travel thing happens and she wakes up in her teenage body but with her 40-year-old consciousness about Mm. big, and it's not sci-fi-y, It's not about the mechanism of the time travel. It's this question of she's answering some questions about what if I had done some things differently in my life? Where would I be at 40 instead of where I am now? Um, And she's able to visit some different periods of her life. There's some good stuff about books and reading. Her dad in the book is a sci-fi writer um, who's famously known for having written a time travel series. There's like some layers and some fun pop culture stuff, but it was really enjoyable. Um, I will be turning 40 at the end of this year, and I am here for... Asking those kinds of questions, but also the the uh, exploration of what if you really did have the answer, and would the answer really make that much of a difference like yeah um it was a, I thought a really thoughtful and fun way of doing it. She just threads that like highbrow commercial fiction um in a in a perfect way for me, so I really enjoyed that, and I am about twenty five percent of the way into klosterman's new book about the nineties
1: oh
0: um
1: can you give me 10 seconds on that? I don't yeah. I, I, you spoil like what, what do you what's your initial? I mean, thought? he opens
0: with sort of early 90s ish general stuff. And then there's a chapter about Nirvana. And now I'm in the 1992 election learning all kinds of things about Ross Perot. <laughs> and so I love it because it's a really broad, eclectic look at what mm-hmm. culture is and what elements of culture are. And I'm coming off of having listened to a bunch of podcasts about 90s music. And I just read major labels about mm-hmm. trends in music. And I so I. Absorb stuff about Nirvana and 90s alt rock, but also about rap. And he got, he like, Klosterman's pulling in some stuff about like Tupac and Biggie. And I'm sure that we're going to go into all kinds of other things. Um, But it's a really interesting exploration of like what Generation X was and what the, what made the 90s so unique as really the last time that there was a monoculture and we didn't know that change was coming. Um,
1: we didn't even know it was a monoculture. And it, right. This is water. And,
0: right. And that it was a culture, in, like Gen X and 90s culture was so largely defined by appearing to not care um, yeah. that that produced a lot of interesting art and um, and a lot of interesting thought about if the thing you super care about is appearing to not care, <laughs> then, mm-hmm. uh, then maybe you care more than anybody else. Um, I really like the kinds of questions that Klosterman is asking about culture. And um, I'm also, you know, having a reckoning with myself that I'm old enough that the pop culture I grew up loving can qualify for philosophical history books now.
1: <laughs> yeah. I'm of the age now where you do that sort of, um, Transitive law stuff of like 1962 was to 1992 is 1992 yeah. is today. That kind of that it's, doesn't. I don't like that. No,
0: reputation. no. I am the embodiment of those memes that are like I still think that ten years ago was 1997. And Unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, it's, a, it's kind of a lightweight for nonfiction. I'm not listening to anything right. But I, I, as a way of saying that, I have a quick rant about this. You know, I'm here. There for was this. a book I wanted to listen to that came out. Uh, on Tuesday, the 4th, 41 Love by Scarlett Thomas was a memoir of like a midlife crisis, but also a tennis addiction that you pick up as part of your midlife crisis. Mm-hmm. She's a, I, I love memoirs by novelists and I like sports ones and idiosyncratic, the better. So I'm like, I in, I'm ready to go with it. no audio version Bummer. in this, in this, the year of our, year, year of our Lord, 2022, a lost sale. I, I, next week I'm picking up with Catherine Schultz's lost and found on mm-hmm. audio, which I've been looking forward to for like two years, yep. I think at this point and then then the steamship really goes up so i missed I, I probably won't get to 41 love and i don't know it's kind of interesting to think about how, what the actual costs of this kind of stuff are um if you don't have the available thing ready to go right then when i'm ready i don't know if they're ever gonna be one in this day and age it's from counterpoint which is a you know it's a legitimate imprint um it's wild to me that day and date major publisher books don't have an audiobook ready to go I agree. I, it just feels like it's that's Stone Age stuff to do with this. Part.
0: Yeah, or even to delay it. Um, yeah. You're going to lose Why? those early folks. Yeah.
1: Why? yeah. So Exist, you can go check it out. I'm sorry to have missed it, but the train rolls on. Uh, so there we go. Let's see. Anything else next week? Yeah. I mean, after next week, it really gets picked up. I One of the reasons I wanted to read kind of in situ week by week is I'm not super good about managing my galleys, but also I kind of like... This is the book that's out. The reviews come out. Then the sales come out the next week. So I can kind of be oh, on the so, on the bleeding edge of nerd. Okay, so you
0: are going to be like pretty systematic about what the definition of front list is week by week.
1: I think so because I, my, my, my current thinking is this, is if I'm not, you know, I might get behind. That's always a possibility. But two fiction and one audiobook finished a week is pretty good for me, but not insurmountable by any stretch of the imagination. If your book comes out and I miss it, That tells me something, Mm. right? And if I don't go, if something else is more interesting, that tells me something. And I don't know.
0: We both would have missed Lauren Groff last year then.
1: Well, but I wasn't trying though. Oh, that's true. Right?
0: Yeah. I have a little more flexible of a relationship to front list. The way I, I'm on the galley game and I tend to, as I'm researching stuff for our drafts, just download all the galleys of everything that looks interesting. So they're sitting Mm. there. I cannot... I can't make myself be faithful to like a reading program like I could not be like and in two weeks I'm reading Catherine Schultz except in two weeks I am reading Catherine Schultz because I'm really excited <laughs> about that but in general I can't pick that far in advance and make myself stick to it or I don't want to I'm sure that I could it's just not that important to me so I like to this load is stunt
1: podcasting Rebecca I don't I know what like to, to tell you that, you know, know. it's like a project it's not my, uh, I'm not gonna do this forever I
0: like to load up my iPad and then let the mood strike me by looking at whatever's there and pick something. Um, Sure.
1: That's what I would do. I mean, what I would do is I've done with the book. What I want to read next. And I like kind of look around and that's how I would like to, I'm just trying something different. uh,
0: Yeah, sure. I support you in this. My front list, uh, corner selections will be a little more chaotic.
1: (laughs) It takes three years of quarantine to me to make a marginal change to my existence. That's what I've learned.
0: I'm really excited for you to have DNFing in your life. I think it's very liberating.
1: Yeah. I, I, it, there could be a world in which I DNF the DNF project. I mean, that's always a that's possibility, true. but we'll see how long we last. Um, will Will my project or average listeners out there, New Year's exercise resolution last longer? Uh, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> Uh, let's go back and circle. We d- we did you know lat- end of the year a lot of stuff happened. We're not going to try to catch up with everything that happened, but I think I would feel like I hadn't done my duty to the great literary spirit in the sky to not mark the passing, at least in passing, of Joan Didion mm-hmm. and Bell Hooks um, at the end of last year. Bell Hooks, it's interesting. I maybe it's a kind of like reading I do on the internet. The 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 one directional company I keep in this kind of situation. And I encountered Bell Hooks like most people, I think, did in college yes. and then in grad school again. I don't think of her, I guess what I'm saying, as like a reading, mainstream reading name, oh, right? interesting. Even to the point of like a Cornell West or Henry Louis Gates Jr. She's much more theoretical, um, and academic is right and wrong, but she was a name, and a lot more people were publicly mourning Bell Hooks than I would have expected. I'm thrilled to see it, mm-hmm. as opposed to Joan Didion, who— had this late career turn as a best-selling author of like suburban mom books, in the, in which, I, that, which is the biggest thing you can say in terms of sales for a Year of Magical Thinking Blue Nights. Those are books people were picking up in Starbucks yeah. when they came out, which is, I'm not sure if it's rarefied air, but it's, a, it's the highest strata of the literary commercial publishing world where you get to have a challenging, difficult, artistic book that sells like gangbusters, which is not. She was known, but Play it as lays, slouching towards bed. Like these books weren't selling in Walden Books at the scale she was later. So she has a much more mana, and she the screenwriter for the Barbara Streisand version of um, A Star Is Born. What an and an icon of her, a style icon mm-hmm. of her own. Um, but so I was I was expecting, not surprised to see the Joan Didion outpouring, and it certainly was bigger in volume than the Bell Hooks one. But I was really pleased to see that a lot of people were like, oh, I know Bill Hooks. And I at least have some kind of experience of noting that this is a person that has passed me
0: too. I was really glad to see that Bill Hooks was really formative for me. And, I think I've talked about it on the show a little bit, but her book, From Margin to Center, was one of the first real feminist theory works that I read. It's probably one of the first real feminist theory works that a lot of people who take women's studies classes or bump into feminist theory in college encounter. But it really opened doors for me in how I thought about things and also led me helped helped lead me down the path of you know having enough framework to understand what we were really talking about when we talked about a feminist lens on the world that i I got to interpret things in new ways because of her work and then also discover other writers i think being familiar with her made me like ready to get familiar with other kinds of feminist thought um if you, I think, are a New York Times subscriber, you might even be able to find it for free online. Tressie McMillan Cottom wrote a wonderful, fu- functionally a wonderful like literary eulogy um, mm-hmm. of Bell Hooks, and an analysis and um, exploration of how Bell Hooks's work informed her own. That of all the things that I read following Bell Hooks's death was the one that has stuck with me the most. So maybe we can drop a link to the show notes, or mm. drop a link to that in the show notes, and um, yeah, I was interested in the in the Joan Didion outpouring because it does seem like there's like a Joan Didion niche I feel like Bell Hooks is for everybody and there's a whoa
1: (laughs) hot take okay go
0: I think Bell Hooks's books should be for everybody Um, Mm. that like you could do a lot worse than have copies of From Margin to Center on the bookshelf in everyone's home who cares about these kinds of issues and Didion It it is that, like, it's not an accident, first of all, that her, like, nichier essays are less well-known than the two big Mm -hmm. books that are mostly about marriage and family, um, Blue Nights and Year of Magical Thinking, which is about losing her husband. Like, that's it's a really thoughtful, wonderful, beautiful book that broke me in half when I read it. And it makes so much sense why every book club in America read it as well. But I feel like there's a certain like kind of reader that Didion appeals to and that more readers like hang their identity on I'm a bell hooks kind of reader, where anybody can be or sorry, more readers hang their identities on like I'm a Joan Didion kind of reader. And anybody can be a bell hooks kind of reader.
1: That's interesting. I mean, I think of Joan Didion as the writer equivalent of a literary tote bag. It's that <laughs> ubiquitous. It's that signaling, and also it's good. She's a she's a wonderful I, I mean, writer, and but you're right. That last turn was more. I think. It's just more generally appealing to talk about how your family died. Yeah, yes. Picking up A9 A Woman is not a page-turner. I mean, that book was a hugely influential book. You know, that came out in 1981, in 1992, Publishers Weekly. I was looking at, you know, Bell Hooks stuff. 20 most influential women's books in the last 20 years. In terms of having, like, ideas that have informed culture, mm-hmm. Bell Hooks is much more influential. But as a... Writer Didian is more recognizable to more people. I'm not sure it's right or wrong. Ain't I a woman, by the way? Sidebar: She wrote that while she was an undergraduate.
0: Yeah, I think that there is are a wild situations. A lot of people walking around in the world referring to Bell Hooks' ideas without knowing that they were Bell Hooks' ideas. Yeah, and yeah. having absorbed thought and theory that she generated that then fed into other things and that's not the case with didion like joan didion is a real signifier but i think of a very particular kind of reader like Mm -hmm. you're a certain kind of reader with a joan didion tote bag and that's not a bad thing at all but it is a like people who are listening to this who have their joan didion tote bag sitting next to them are like yeah i get it
1: (laughs) yeah well and there is her popularity later Obfuscated is not right. Overwhelmed her like 60s and 70s writing that feels more radical yes, if you've read that. Yeah. Year of Magical Feeling, Thinking and Blue Nights doesn't really feel radical except that all human existence is wild and strange and sad mm-hmm. and beautiful. But if you read her uh, her criticism and earlier writings, it's much more of an indictment in a way. Um, it's it has the, it feels like the elbows are sharper though. I think she kept her sharp her elbows oh, yeah, pretty sharp so. um, throughout her life. But yeah, it's ain't I a woman especially. When it came out, and I think one thing that I was surprised by, and this is kind of related to our early discussion about how we forget how long we've been around on this um spinning planet, is when I was reading A Night Woman in, in college in like 97, this was new for undergraduates at a big public university to be reading, right? Mm-hmm. So it felt cutting edge. And that cutting edge has now been sort of... That's bell hooks is mainstream when it comes to people studying humanities, right? I think that's a change that's hard for me. And I just, I didn't register that, right? Bell hooks is common to see on a syllabus now, maybe even canonical. Maybe there's probably even bell hooks backlash I don't know about, right? Mm. Re evaluations Mm -hmm. and other things that's going on. So, um, anyway, two wonderful writers. There's no need to uh, falsely compare them or say one versus the other. I think it's interesting Mm -hmm. to think about the different readers, the different outpourings. Um, Also, who, who who owns the belt for the most famous person who doesn't capitalize their name? It was E.E. E. Cummings till 1962. No, uh Bell Hooks no. picked it up a little bit later. I can't think of anyone. I'm sure there's, you know, hip hop artists. Katie uh, Lang. Oh. Lang. Does she not capitalize <laughs> she her name? Doesn't, I don't think I knew no. that. Katie Lang. Welcome to the, this is your time to uh shine. Um as the uh, How do I the know that? of the belt. You're a child of the 90s. It's true. That's right. I'm sure there's a Lilith Fair bulletin poster you saw with Katie Lang all in lowercase.
0: Oh, that, that does feel like an indictment of the Lilith Fair-inspired playlist I made two weeks ago.
1: It's no indictment. It's a recognition. <laughs> it's a fine line, indictment versus recognition, but it's there.
0: Well, speaking, speaking of, of indictments... indictments. And, and recognition. <laughs> Oh, when we're good, we're really, really good.
1: Oh. So, uh, you go. You all take right.
0: Me. Back in the summer or the fall, at some time in 2021, we talked about a really perplexing, mysterious story that had come out. The New York Times and Vulture both covered it at the time about the fact that somebody was impersonating like literary agents and publishing professionals, emailing folks at publishers trying to get manuscripts, and that they had this got discovered when people realized that they had been sending manuscripts to people who were not actually the agent that they thought they were talking to. And it was just this giant shruggy man at the time of like, who would be doing this? And why would they be doing it? And at at that moment, the big question mark and the thing we spent the most time talking about on the show was, okay, so they've stolen these manuscripts, or they've... uh, they've obtained them by having them by impersonating other people. Yeah. I guess they haven't stolen
1: if they they, fraud, I guess. They've
0: yes, they've defrauded people into sending them these manuscripts. But they hadn't shown up anywhere online. There was no like somebody trying to sell them for piracy Mm -hmm. websites or auctioning them off or even trying to collect ransom on them or something. There didn't seem to be any evidence of anything happening to these manuscripts after whoever was on the other end had obtained them. And we were just scratching our heads along with all the reporters about why would... What's someone... the
1: black market value yeah, of Margaret Atwood's right. new novel, Why manuscript? would
0: somebody be doing this? And at the time, there was speculation that this was happening from someone inside publishing because they knew insider lingo and the fact that, like, a manuscript is often abbreviated as MS when you're talking about it in email or something. So there is an update. Um, a The FBI has arrested a man named Filippo Bernardini, who is an Italian citizen who worked for Simon and Schuster, UK. Um, He was arrested after landing at John F. Kennedy International Airport in New York um, earlier this week, Um, charged with wire fraud and aggravated identity theft. And we don't really know much more than that. We don't know from this piece how this was discovered. We do know he did actually work for Simon and Schuster UK, and that an SNS spokesperson um, said in a statement that they were shocked and horrified by the allegations. We know that Bernardini has been put on suspension until um, until you know the, there's more investigation takes place. And um, this is a piece by Elizabeth Harris, and she just continues the head scratching there's just continued like why he did this no one knows even the indictment, indictment paperwork um notes the means by which he was obtaining these things but not the motive um there is speculation in the piece that like maybe having the insider secrets from a competing publisher house would allow you to do something
1: it's, it's the old <laughs> meme of like Steel manuscripts, <laughs> step two question mark three yeah, profit, exactly. right? That one?
0: And except there's no evidence that there was profit of either monetary or reputational value. Um Nobody knows yet. So there is a person in custody for having committed these crimes. But we don't know anything else. Um, it seems that the reporters don't yet know anything else about how this person was tracked down and, and discovered to be the alleged um, perpetrator of the crimes. Mm. And more to the point why or what they were doing with it afterwards um lots of speculation in our company slack this morning about it but i think we've all kind of or we've at least largely landed in the place of this seems like chaotic energy of like maybe he just wanted to know that he could um you know like folks stealing art just to hide it in their basement and never looked out look at it maybe it was just for the thrill um it will be Very interesting to see what comes out. I personally look forward to the eight-episode limited-run podcast uh, investigating this that someone will do.
1: Only manuscripts in the building. (laughs) I'd listen to that. Uh, To quote the great Don Draper, People people Do Things. things. People Do Things, Mm -hmm. I think, is our Bayesian prior for this. (laughs) There was a piece in Publishers Lunch today, the newsletter that I recommend you have to pay for it but I get a lot of good stuff out there I think they do a good job of co- doing the kind of coverage that doesn't exist around books and reading like the real industry kind of stuff saying that like maybe or some intimation that to get ideas mm. for something and that, that that feels just like another reframing of step one get other yeah. people's ideas step two you're going to then go write the book and before the one that's already written comes out under a pen name and hope no one noticed I, I, there's some missing <laughs> there's something here I think is missing People do. There's either a really, really sophisticated angle, or people do things, mm-hmm. right? That kind of how and, I'm feeling about it. And when
0: in point. doubt, default to people do things.
1: Yeah, yeah, right. I also think why it took so long. There was some speculation. I think probably at, at some point the FBI got a hold of this, mm-hmm. and from what it looks like, this does. This was not. Um, what's Leonardo DiCaprio's name in Catch Me If You Can? Oh. This is not a great con artist. Yeah. You know, I don't think it could con. Uh, Carl Hanwright, 10 years of tracking this dude down. He was creating uh, 160 fake email accounts across multiple domains, p- sending emails to people. I think once the cybersecurity unit at FBI got mm-hmm. this, they probably sorted it up pretty yeah. quick, <laughs> is probably my guess. Also, landing it at a JFK Airport gives it a catch me if you can vibe. with Non extradition from the UK. There was an, only an American indictment, so you had to wait for him to set on soil. Like maybe he should have flown to Bahrain rather than. Um, <laughs> The U.S. Uh, <laughs> Philip Bernardino, I so here's here's I got three questions for you. Oh, okay. One is, what kind of already you already answered? What kind of adaptation medium would you prefer? Do you I want think... a limited run podcast? Do you want a feature length film, or do you want a good like documentary, like a proper documentary?
0: Oh well, I think if it turns out he's not doing anything with them other than getting thrills, the podcast about how he went about it would be interesting. The
1: TikTok kind of yeah. Yeah, the TikTok of how and
0: why the methods of the madness, if you will. Mm -hmm. I don't care about it. This is not exciting enough for a feature-length film. The stakes are not high enough. Like, who cares? You can't really do anything with the early Margaret Atwood manuscript. People care because this is a wrong thing to do. He broke laws doing it. I care Mm -hmm. about that. But like, the stakes are not high enough for this to be a feature-length film. And I think... It would be fascinating if you would participate in a documentary, but I think I want a podcast about it. Have you? Second question. Okay.
1: How bad must the information security be that you just all you have to do is impersonate some fake person and <laughs> Margaret Atwood's agent? Who's who? There's there's Margaret Atwood. There's, I'm not picking on her. Those yeah. are the names. Ethan Hawke. Why? I, I don't understand. Like. I guess the the flow of manuscript is looser than I ever would have imagined for this kind of thing. I just didn't think about that. Yes,
0: I think that's much looser than folks imagine, except for very, very high value kinds of new Harry Potter novel level things where people, where everyone attached has to sign an NDA. But I caught the last hour and a half of The Devil Wears Prada on cable last week. And I picked (laughs) up at the scene where Miranda is yelling at her to go get the unpublished Harry Potter book. And I was like, there's no way. There's no way that like the guy from The New Yorker just knows a guy who can get it to them. But that's like the only title and it works for that movie because of it. But that's the only kind of title that you couldn't know your know a guy to know a guy your way into getting them. I think if you were if you looked like you were legitimately in publishing and had a legitimate reason to be asking for the thing, if the person thought you were the agent or the publicist or whatever, um, maybe that'll change now um, or have some sort of verification mechanisms. Like I can't just email somebody at a publisher and be like, "Hey, I work in book media. Will you send me a, a, a manuscript that's not even finished yet?" But if you look like you are the person who works on, who is working on the book and should have access to the unpublished manuscript, I think they're like, who's double checking, who's staring at the domains of the incoming emails that they receive to make sure that it's an M at the end of, at the end of random house, instead of an RN that look like an M, you know, like this is stuff that is easy to get.
1: This is meth blow Neal from random (laughs) House.
0: It's stuff that's easy to miss. And that's probably also why it went on for so long. Like I, I don't, I think in general, security around manuscripts is pretty light. Maybe publishers want to take another look at that. But I don't really fault any of the folks who were like, tricked by this, because who's who is staring at the domains of incoming emails enough to scrutinize it? And what reason would you have on a normal work day to scrutinize those things?
1: Well, I'd say more now than before the great Berendino, Berendini, what's his name? (laughs) Berendini. Fleeced fleeced the big five (laughs) publishers out of their most prized position. My last question is this. Of manuscripts you have reason to believe currently exist, Mm. if you're going to catfish one of them out of some junior publicist somewhere, what would you try to go get?
0: Oh, that's a great question.
1: I stacked the deck. Would you like me to do mine and then you can think about it for a minute? I'm
0: just thinking there's nothing coming out this year that I mm. am dying to get my hands on. Um, yeah, yeah, stack the deck for me
1: well we did this this didn't make it into the agenda. um Liberty was passing this around on Sosh about the Abraham Verghese oh manuscripts. yes. <laughs> Would you like to tell the people why I would select that one?
0: So Abraham Verghese, who wrote *Cutting Verghese, for Stone*, right. came out what 2009. It's been a
1: long time. It
0: came out. I was blogging. I think it was pre-Book Riot, so it's been a Is long time. It yeah, like it's that, been a long time. Been. Great, great novel. Huge debut. Yes. Um, it's been since then that he's had a book. So sophomore novel was sold to Random House, which published his which published Cutting for Stone. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, they basically could not reach an agreement between the editor and Verghese about what an acceptable form of the final book would be. So it, it was I have so many questions. This is actually the thing that I want an eight episode podcast about. Yes. <laughs> um so it was released for, like, re-auction and has gone to... I don't remember who the new publisher is, but he has gone to... someone at
1: Simon or something. He's gone I, to a, I, gone I to a different
0: publishing house with yeah. this. Um, and so will be coming out in the next couple years, presumably. But I think I am more interested in the story about how this went down and in, like, what the differences were between what Verghese wanted and what the editor yeah. wanted than I am in the actual manuscript itself. But that's a good one.
1: Well, I just... I'm assuming there's some manuscript out there with the editor's notes for AV being like AVWTF for like 70. <laughs> like how, how mess? I'm like, what's wrong with it? Also, the thing you didn't say, the dollar amount. Do you remember off the top of your head, the dollar oh, amount?
0: Oh, it was like, wasn't it in the seven figures? It was millions. Five million bucks. Yeah. And like, did he have to give the advance back? What's the kill I, fee on a I, book like this?
1: I don't know. I don't oh. know. I mean... There's so much there. I mean, we've gotten into the, mor- we've talked about morality clauses as another escape hatch for publishers to get out of an advance or something like this. But I don't know something where, they're just button heads like, over the, the yes. future of the thing. And, well, I don't understand that. And
0: is it bad or is it just head-butting? Because the, we do know stories about books that had big advances, that it was just sort of widely agreed behind the scenes were not good, or yes, the end of the series not was not good, but the author got paid a lot of money and was going to finish the book, and the publisher was going to publish the thing and try to make some money back on it. So I have questions. Maybe we have a little birdie who would like to anonymously tell us. Yeah, things. right.
1: <laughs> Apparently, if you use fake emails, you maybe can go get it for us. Um, yeah, I, there's. It seems to be two most likely possibilities. One is that they don't think the book would sell, and and right now, how much how much weight does does he hold? Like those of us who remember cutting for stone, I think you got to relaunch the whole thing. Mm-hmm. The brand is dead. Mm-hmm. So maybe they're trying to get a clawback of the advance, which for Random House, I would be surprised because think of the damage you do for author relations yeah. and everything else. It's going to sell some. My, my gut would be that there's something offensive in it and mm-hmm. they don't want to put it out and have to defend it or explain it or have their employees walk out. You know, this was a different era. I don't know what his politics are. He, you know, yeah, he's writing know. A, about obstetricians in sub-Saharan Africa. There's a lot of different ways he can do. A lot of people think things a lot different than I thought they did <laughs> prior to 2016. And maybe like we can't do this AV. I assume they call him AV. That's <laughs> that's one of my that's one of my things I'm choosing. But also my my that one. This is more for fun. If I'm actually doing it, what's the deal with either the Rothfuss or Martin manuscript? Mm-hmm. Like literally, what is mm-hmm. it? Yes. Like literally, like what was the the editor at DAW saying? There is no manuscript for Rothbard? Like right. I haven't seen a word of it.
0: Right. I forgot about that.
1: Like if that's a blank MS word doc, I need to see yes. that. yeah. And then the other one is Martin is like, I know he's working on it, but what the hell? Right. Like, what does
0: working what are, on it mean?
1: Are we into page 1400 here? Are we a, a Grady Tripp, and Wonder Boys of like the genealogy <laughs> of everybody's horses kind
0: of a thing? Oh, Wonder um, Boys.
1: Oh, I know. It's a great show. Uh, so those are my, okay. those are the ones that come to head. Now, actually from a readerly point of view, I you know I don't know what's Dan Brown cooking on <laughs> we've got a whole other Dan Brown conversation to have at some point we need to we need to figure out where we are um, I, with I
0: know where I am with Dan Brown I've thought about this he just take had...
1: your horse girls and go are or are you in Yeah, I'm... yeah let's go
0: I am going to stay interested in Dan Brown for as long as Dan Brown does interesting weird things with his books like does the kinds of things that I want yeah. from a Dan Brown book. Dude had an affair. Like it's not great, yep. but it's not not a great look. It's not bad bad level. It's run of the mill. A lot of people do this. I don't
1: People do things. People do
0: things. I don't need to know this about the people who write my books. Like the run of the mill Interhuman bad behavior. I don't need yeah. to know about and having it's banal it's and
1: sordid, it's, but it's not like evil. It's like the
0: most predictable bad behavior yeah. a middle-aged married person can commit. And
1: I, the sorry, we do can't. five seconds on this, but <laughs> I was reading a statement where his wife's you know basically accused him of he's been living a double life the whole time and hiding secrets. I was like, if you read the Da Vinci Code, <laughs> it's about a sex cult <laughs> hiding the identity of a young beautiful woman. I, you know, I don't know that you have to be like F. R. Levis close reading <laughs> in 1930 to be like, I wonder what's going on behind wonder the tackies here. Wonder
0: if old DB has a thing yeah, for younger wonder, women with ponytails. Have you
1: checked the search history? Uh, you know, <laughs> Dan that's all I'm saying. I
0: would pay some money for Dan Brown's search history.
1: <laughs> if you want the if it's Dan Brown's search history or Verghese's or uh, manuscript. <laughs>
0: Oh, Dan door Brown's number one. search history, for sure. <laughs> you learn much more about a person from their search history. Yeah, that's Although I guess I'm trying to know less about Dan Brown. I don't know.
1: Yeah, that's right. Maybe that's the lesson from F.R. Levis. The author is dead. The author doesn't exist. Read the text. Forget the person. Uh, speaking of, I'd rather forget the text. In the things we saw coming from a thousand miles away, the New York Times released its reader poll of the best book of the last 125 years. And shocker of shocker, the book is To Kill a Mockingbird <laughs> by Harper of Lee, which is a fine novel from 1962 <laughs> is when that came out. It's a museum piece. I mean, it you know, I don't know how and, to deal with this. Okay.
0: Stuff. Uh, this. I want to extend, I don't know, a little bit of grace, like a thimble full of grace to the editors at the New York Times who decided to do this, because I'm sure that this is mostly...
1: Impossible task.
0: This is a clicks and engagement move. (laughs) We will ask people who read the New York Times what books they like, and a bunch of them will engage with us. And more than 200,000 of them did. They got more than 200,000 ballots. So, okay, you achieved that thing. But like... This is completely predictable. It was To Kill a Mockingbird. The second one is The Fellowship of the Ring, followed by 1984, followed by 100 Years of Solitude. And then, thank God, Toni Morrison made it into thank the top God. five with Beloved. It's, I feel like we will know that a generational shift has occurred when a mainstream publication can ask this question, and the answer is not To Kill a Mockingbird.
1: I was trying to think of how... So- you're gonna have the same problem, regression to the mean. That's that's what this is. It's it's, it's not really a slide against To Kill a Mockingbird. Honestly, I'm being a little snarky about it. It's it's the more the predictability. It's yes. like they had to have known what's going to happen. To Killing Mockingbird is probably the book that most people say is their favorite it's, book of all time. That is, and it's a, real and okay. And it's
0: availability bias. Most yes, people right. don't do a ton of reading after they finish their formal education Mm -hmm. and To Kill a Mockingbird has been a mainstay of assigned reading lists for 60 years if not more so it's the one that if you like are participating in a thing you got to dredge up a memory of a book you read and most of the books that you read were during your education To Kill a Mockingbird is right there it could be any other book that was widely assigned just nothing was as widely assigned and then also got made into a beloved movie with Gregory Peck and yada yada like we have other knocks for To Kill a Mockingbird. You're right. But this is about the predict... Yep. Like, can we stop asking this question while To Kill a Mockingbird is still in the culture? Like, it's just not interesting. There's nothing interesting Well, that's about what I was going to ask
1: you. To okay, so we're doing the same thing. You've got the Times Juice and you've got the click-baity um, question of what's the best book of the last 125 years. It's also part of the content marketing for their edition of the New York Times 125th anniversary, which I bought like a sucker and I'm reading and I really enjoy like a sucker because that's <laughs> the kind of sucker I am. But... Let's say, not, in addition to voting, you have got to ask two other questions, right? So you're kind of using the, let's all think about how smart we are and talk about books we like. And that's fine. That's why we do that on the side within ourselves. If you're listening to the show, you probably like that thing. And I do too. But the second questions I think would be interesting. One is, what's your favorite book and how old you are? That's what mm. I would, because then you could sort by group. The third would be, what's your favorite book that you feel like no one else likes? Oh, yes. That's the one I want. That's the one I want.
0: I would be interested in a, like, check yes or no on have you read these? And it's, like, 25 of the best-selling books or most culturally popular books, Mm -hmm. some combination, of the last, like, five years. Um, I think that would be interesting. But this is just what's your favorite overall book from your whole reading life? And subscribers to The Times skew older. They are more likely to have had educations that included To Kill a Mockingbird. I think that's falling Mm -hmm out of favor. It's just predictable. I think just ask better questions.
1: Yeah. And, you know, if we asked, if we did a poll on our site, bookriot.com, asking, we would get the same result. I'm not saying it would be any different. It would yeah. probably be the I same result. I would
0: be delighted if it were different, but I'm not yeah. confident that it would. Also, because we've gotten mainstream enough in our readership. Yeah. yeah. And,
1: yeah, the regression mean, like I said, I th- though I, I did, I wrote um, our our daily newsletter over break a little bit, and I covered this on that day. And I said, you know, I was I guess I was surprised to see Beloved at five. Mm-hmm. I was too. I, and I think 100 Years of Solitude at four even, I think, is it. The, the top three. They're high school books. There's movies. They're in the culture in a way outside of their existence as a book. I think mm-hmm. that's maybe the fairest thing to say. That. Yeah. that. I don't think one year, 100 Years of Solitude is, in. I don't think Beloved is. It was made into a very bad movie, unfortunately, that no one saw. But Beloved, if we sort of adjust for is there a movie, is it like a cultural thing outside of books – to me, my adjusted ranking is Hundred Years of Solitude" then "Beloved" one, two. If I do it that way, if I if I kind of use a a, a five thirty eight mm, um, mm-hmm. poll adjustment model <laughs> for though for me, and I think now there's a list I can get behind. Tra- Hundred Years of Solitude" is legitimately great. "Beloved," as everyone knows here. I think is the second best novel of the last 125 years. If you've been listening, you know that I think Invisible Man by Ralph Ellison is the best novel of the last 125 years, but I'm very happy to have that argument with anyone who'd be willing to argue <laughs> with me stupidly about that because neither of us would feel good about ourselves after that argument was over. But that's that's kind of where I am. So that's, you know, we saw this coming. It came down the list. It gets more interesting as often happens when you get down uh, the mm-hmm. list. Next week, we're going to have time to do it for today. Rebecca and I have been completely entranced, enthralled, yes. What's captivated, the line from the horrified,
0: Ensorceled.
1: Ensorcelled. <laughs> I think it's ensorcelled plus a little bit of menace, whatever <laughs> that would be, um, about the HBO adaptation of Emily St. John Mandel's Station Eleven, um, created and showrun by Patrick Somerville. And the first two direct, the first two episodes directed by Hiro Murai, um, starring Mackenzie Davis and a whole bunch of other people. So many good people. It, it inspired me to go read Station Eleven over break after Michelle and I watched the first oh, three episodes. Okay, I want to Did hear. Did I, tell, about you that? That, I didn't tell you that? I didn't tell you that. It's on HBO Max. Um, it's the most. It's the mo. It's
0: I, the most. I haven't.
1: I haven't had a, a viewing experience with a TV show like this in a long mm-hmm. time. And we're gonna talk about it the back half of one of our upcoming shows. There's ten episodes total. Um we are now well I guess seven and eight, eight and get released tomorrow. Eight
0: and nine.
1: Eight and nine, yeah. get released tomorrow, and then the week after the the last episode mm-hmm. will appear. Um yeah, it has my highest recommendation. It's 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 you call it the best show I've seen in a while. It's like doesn't feel even right it's somehow. Diff- it's, it's
0: just in a class yeah. of its own. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And we'll talk about why. So if you're interested in in that and haven't checked it out and have access to it or want to find access to it, been on a fence about it, or maybe didn't know it exists, go check it it, it out. It's um, Station Eleven, I should say. It's a post-apocalyptic novel. It's set in sort of the present... That, hmm, the idea is that there's a global pandemic. I know, I know, I know. But like a real bad one. Like I think they say a one in thousand survival yes. rate that happens very fast and it follow, it kind of flash forwards and back from day one to year twenty after the thing has happened. Um, and what's interesting to me about, it in a lot of ways, and we can get into this, is it's not actually concerned with the pandemic. No, it's concerned about the people, humanity, art, survival, you know, connection, despair, hope, love. Yes. You know, all that and other kind of stuff.
0: I'll say the first episode is very difficult to watch for all of the pandemic reasons. Yep. That's the episode where those where someone coughs in a bus and you feel your heart seize right. up. Hey, if you can, hang through it. If you there, can. There's plenty reasons to not be ready for this. Yep. I have found the rest of the viewing experience to be like... And I don't think cathartic is the word. Partially Transcendent? Cathartic. Transcendent healing in a way that I didn't expect. Yeah. Um, yeah. We can talk about that more next week. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Go check it out. Station 11. Thank you so much. Bookriot.com slash listen to find the show notes to this and all backup is with Book Riot podcast. Bookriot.com slash winter draft to go find our draft, our pick pickoff um, for the books coming out January for April. And then Adaptation Nation to hear us talk about English Patient for an hour and a half, uh, which... You know that's what it is. What it is is on the tin, as they like to say. Rebecca, happy new year! Happy new year to all of you out there. I hope you're entering to this particular winter of our discontent with as much um, steel as you can muster. We'll talk to you next time. Have a good one.